Strange Brew Podcast Season 1, Episode 61. Remember last week when I said we might be scaling back because, quote, not a lot is happening? (laughs) All right. The Mike Budenholzer era is over in Milwaukee, and I have mixed emotions about it, more mixed than I thought they would be. That news coming down yesterday. We'll break it down, have some bud appreciation, talk about where you go from here, and uh, look now to the next step in the offseason. This was step one. Step one is complete. Now step two is finding somebody, hiring somebody to be the next head coach and to guide this team through the second half of Giannis's prime. Also, Jordan Love, his contract gets a restructure. They avoid the fifth-year option, but kind of don't avoid the fifth-year option. It's weird. We'll discuss that. And the Brewers have a collapse in Denver, just a mess of a series against the last-place Rockies. Hopefully get back on track tonight. It is also Derby weekend and Cinco de Mayo. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's hard. Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Wisconsin, record-breaking run. Morgan, a smash up the middle, base hit to center, here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win. Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's a interception, and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in. Today, cue my Elaine. Cinco de Mayo! (laughs) Sales commission, bye-bye! Good Lord. Some of the things that you see on TV back in the day, I don't think that would have flown today, perhaps. Lindsay and I, my wife and I, are doing a rewatch of How I Met Your Mother. It's tough. Some of those shows, I always think it's unfair to take something from 30 years ago and then to put it under the lens of what we deem acceptable today. A lot of stuff isn't going to stand up. That's why things change with the times. Well, we started watching season one of How I Met Your Mother, which is 2005, and some of those things already at the beginning. It's like, ooh, I don't know that that, would, <laughs> that's, that line wouldn't fly. That subject matter wouldn't fly, but still funny. Yeah, it is Cinco de Mayo today. Today in 1862, the outnumbered Mexican forces defeat French troops sent by Napoleon III in the Battle of Puebla. They win, and that is why Cinco de Mayo is a thing. That's why you're getting BOGO Coronas and shots of Don Julio tonight. It's not Mexican Independence Day, even though some would argue when I get BOGO Coronas, that's actually the Mexican Independence Day. Whatever day it is that I'm getting buy one, get one Modelo's, that's the Independence Day. No, that's not actually. Mexican Independence Day, I believe, is September 21st. I always thought it would be a good marketing strategy because you see a lot of bars and restaurants are going to do Cinco de Mayo specials today. I'm pretty sure it is September 21st or 22nd. It would be smart, I think, for somebody to run that back on the actual Mexican Independence Day. You got about a four or five month gap there. Anytime you can go out and get a couple of drinks for 20% off, I'll celebrate anybody's heritage for that. Okay, let's hop right into it. Mike Budenholzer fired by John Horst and the Bucks on Thursday night. That was a true Woj bomb. 
People joke about Woj bombs. I just hopped onto Twitter real quick before 5 o'clock yesterday evening and almost saw it as it was tweeted two or three minutes afterwards that Bud is out. Budenholzer's gone. And even though it's a bomb, we sort of saw it coming. I think most Bucks fans felt at the end of the series against Miami and the way it all played out and how embarrassing it was and how now it's been a couple of years since the title, and things feel like they're getting a little stale. It just felt like this was going to happen, but when it actually happened, I was a little shocked by it. You know what I mean? It was a weird feeling. I texted a bunch of my buddies when the news came down, and I said, even though I thought it might happen, this is still kind of a shock to me. It's a mixed bag, a mixed feeling, Given how good the era was and how it's already over, it's hard to believe life comes at you fast. It's hard to believe that five-year window is already gone. Felt like we were just at the beginning of it. But I had a lot of mixed emotions, and I was a little stunned. at some In some part of my brain or my heart, even though we all felt, and I'm not, I mean, it's not everybody. It wasn't 100% of the Bucks fan base. You saw plenty of people after this news came down yesterday. There were plenty of Bucks fans that were saying, you're going to regret this. We are, we could regret this. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later in the podcast. But that could be true. That could be true. We may regret this move. I think you have to accept that as a part of trying to get a new voice and trying to maximize Giannis's potential in the second half of his prime and all that stuff. This could be ultimately a bad move. We're not going to know until years in the future. I would say... 80% of the Bucks fan base, or at least 70%, felt like this was the move. But in some part of my brain, I don't know that I really believed they were going to do it, if that makes any sense. And when it actually did happen, and the words were there, and he is gone, it really hit me in a weird way. Before we talk about the actual move itself, what this does mean for the second half of Giannis's prime, and maybe roster construction, and who they may target as the next head coach, and all of that other trickle-down stuff... I do want to spend a minute or two on Bud appreciation because when you look back at this run, this is arguably, I would maybe even say inarguably, the best five-year stretch of basketball the Milwaukee Bucks have ever seen. You do have to take into account there's about a 20- to 30-year dark period in there, but this was a really good franchise at its beginning because of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar this day in history as well. Cinco de Mayo, 1969, the Bucks signed Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and he won an MVP, and they won a title, and they went back to the finals in 1974, and the Bucks were really good in the 80s. I didn't see a lot of that born in 84, but my father-in-law or anybody that watched the team in the 80s will tell you with Sidney Moncrief and Marcus Johnson, and they just had Brian Winters. They had so many quality players. The problem with the 80s Bucks was they won a, won a lot of Midwest division titles, but they always ran into the Larry Bird Celtics and the Robert Parrish Celtics and those loaded Celtics teams, Dr. J in Philly. There were some top-level teams in the East at that time they simply could not get past, but they were in the second round and the third round of the playoffs a lot, could not break through and get to the finals. That has to be added in there as well. But this five-year run, in terms of pure winning, is one of the best windows in Bucks franchise history. And he immediately made things better. When you think back to when he came aboard, after the 2017-2018 team lost in Game 7 in the first round to Kyrie Irving at the time in Boston, we weren't really sure what this franchise was going to be or what it was becoming. I can't remember... What was the first Pfizer forum year? Was it Bud's first year? 
I believe we knew we were going to stay, and there was a stadium in place, and I forget when exactly the Herb Cole sale was to Lazarus and Edens, and now it's Edens and Jimmy Haslam. But we knew the franchise was staying. But even with that, what was the future of this team in terms of winning, in terms of playoff success, in terms of championships? We didn't know at that time. It was the end of the Jason Kidd, Joe Prunty, who was the interim coach at the end of that year, the end of that whole era. And he did take them a step forward from where they were, but they were still scuffling. They were a 42-43-44 win team a seven or eight seed in the playoffs, still had not won a playoff series in almost 20 years. And then Bud comes in, and with his success in Atlanta, even though he didn't have a lot of playoff success in Atlanta, with his success there immediately, you knew the credibility of this team immediately jumped up a notch, instantly became a more credible franchise, a more well-oiled machine, well-coached machine. There was stability. There was a process. Everything seemed to settle in, and that first year that he was the head coach in 2018-2019, he took essentially the same team the prior year with maybe Brooke Lopez as an addition. Remember, they got Brooke for a year for $3 million on a basically a waiver claim just about, and what a run he's put together. But I'm pretty sure that was the only major addition they had from that team that Kidd had into Bud's first year. And the prior year, they won 44 games and were the seven seed. This year, or that year, that first year, that same team won 60 games and was the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And they won not one playoff series, but two playoff series. And they were up 2-0 in the Eastern Conference Finals, which we all remember against Nick Nurse and the Raptors. And maybe Nick Nurse will be coming in now. But they were within two games of the NBA Finals. Giannis won the MVP that year. Bud won the Coach of the Year that year. Sound like a pretty good first year to you for a franchise that had been spinning its wheels for almost two decades? 60 wins and a one seed and within two games of the Finals and the MVP and the Coach of the Year. And then the next year, it's hard to remember because of the bubble, but the next year before the pandemic undermined everybody's lives and everything in the world – That was a team that was pacing for 70 wins. Do they get there? Sure. (laughs) Because we don't know if they do or not. Let's just say they do. That would have been the third ever 70-win team in NBA history. And they were making that next step of a team that went further than maybe people expected the year prior. And they're hungry about the way, or angry and hungry after the way that season ended. And they're taking that next half step forward. It felt like that was the direction of that season. And then the pandemic hits and the season's canceled for a couple of months. They started up again in the bubble. And the Bucks were just not a very good bubble team. That one goes by the wayside. The next year, they break the drought. They break the 50-year championship drought. And sure, there are going to be plenty of people out there that talk about the Bud era and that year specifically and say that the players were so good it didn't matter who the coach was and they won in spite of Bud. That's just not true. People who say that don't watch basketball, don't understand basketball. You think about that team. They won 46 games. They learned to pace themselves more that year. They learned more that the regular season maybe doesn't matter as much as they thought it did in the first two years of Bud in Milwaukee. They won 46 games. They were the three seed. But think of that playoff run. They sweep the Heat, which seems inconceivable right now based on what just happened. But they sweep the Heat. They're down 2-0 to the Nets. Come back and win that series. Win game seven in Brooklyn. They're tied at two with the Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Giannis goes down. They win the clinching two games without Giannis. Don't tell me coaching has nothing to do with that. They win the last two games of that series without Giannis and then are down 2-0 in the finals with an injured Giannis and come back and win four straight. Coaching has a lot to do with that. People are going to try to take that away from Bud. They don't know what they're talking about. 
you win the championship that year. Then the next year, last year, you lose in game seven in the second round to the Celtics. Most NBA pundits agree that if Chris Middleton was fully healthy for that playoff run, they're at least in the NBA Finals. What would have happened there with the Warriors? Who knows? What a fun series that would have been to watch. How would they have stopped Giannis? They probably wouldn't have. But that is a season that felt like you were headed to at least the finals, upended by injury. But then this year, things tailed off, not in the regular season, 58 wins, number one seed in the NBA. And then you just had the massive, humiliating, pathetic performance in the playoffs against the Heat. But in that five-year window, they won more games than anybody in the NBA. And they won a championship. And without injuries, who knows? Maybe they win a second in there. Maybe they don't. But injuries play a factor in the last two years with Middleton last year. And yes, Giannis this year, even though they lost the two games that Giannis came back in, that is a factor, as we talked about last week. I think if Giannis is fully healthy for this series, they probably win the series. It probably goes longer than we thought it was going to at the beginning of the series. But if a fully healthy Giannis plays in this series, I do believe they are in the second round right now. We can't prove whether that's right or not, but I do believe that. But the way it ended is the way that is the reason why Bud is no longer the head coach for the Bucks. But in that five-year window, you could have nothing but appreciation for what the Bud era was. He instantly gave the franchise credibility. They instantly started winning at a higher rate. They won playoff series. They won a championship. He'll never pay for a steak or whatever he wants to eat, whatever bottle of wine, whatever he wants in Milwaukee. He'll never have to pay for it again, and rightfully so. All of that on the table Again, this felt like something that had to happen because it did feel like things were getting stale. And the stubbornness when it came to in-game and in-series adjustments, which was amplified and magnified to a higher degree in this series, which ends up being one of the most historic upsets in NBA playoff history. When you look at all that, and maybe things are getting a little bit stale, it just felt like it was time. It felt like it was time to move on and get a fresh perspective and maybe a fresh scheme in there. And as we discussed last week, This is the time to do it. Whatever you end up doing, whether you, and at that time we didn't know, whether you do a new head coach or get a new head coach, whether you freshen up the roster, if Middleton's here or not, if Lopez is here or not, if you are going to make changes, big changes in the organization, and make no mistake, this is a big change in the organization, this is the time to do it because it all comes down to Giannis. Everything goes back to Giannis. We got this asteroid that hit planet Earth and landed in Milwaukee And we've got this precious, precious gift for I don't know how much longer, hopefully 10 more years. But in the contract you're in right now, he has two years left on the deal and a player option for a third year after that. He could sign an extension in September to add years onto this deal. I don't know what the incentive would be for Giannis to do that. There really is none. It would be great if he would. <laughs> don't get me wrong. We love. I love you, Giannis. I love you. If he did do that this September and added years to it, we would love him. Why he would do that, I don't know. It wouldn't make any sense. He could make all the money that he would make in September. He could make it later on. And in my opinion, if you're a superstar player, in order to keep pressure on the organization that you're in, if you like everything about where you're at, you like the city, you grew up in the city, which is the case for Giannis, you've won a title there, you've won MVPs there, you like where you're at, still, even if all that's true, still, you want to hold that organization's feet to the fire a little bit. And if you add those years on and you're locked in for four or five more years, maybe there's a chance that organization could get complacent. If that organization is always worried about At the end of your contract, are you going to stay? That makes them probably make moves like yesterday. It makes them be a bit more aggressive in free agency, in trades. 
it just ramps everything up. For that reason, I would not expect Giannis to sign that extension this September. But he's in the middle of the extension that he signed in 2020. This is the time to do it. Because what you don't want to do is run everything back. Run the roster back. Run the coaching staff back. And it is stale. And you know that at some point next year. And it's clear in the playoffs. Maybe they don't make a run next year. And now you've wasted another year of Giannis's prime. You cannot risk wasting Giannis's prime. And that's what he's in the middle of right now. You simply can't. And like we said off the top... You might regret this. Bud is going to get a job whenever he wants. He could sit at home for a year like Mike McCarthy and do nothing and collect a paycheck. I believe he has two years for $16 million left on his deal. He could just sit for two years. Whenever Bud wants to work, he will get hired by an NBA franchise. I don't know where that franchise will be or what city he'll be in, but whenever he makes himself available to be a head coach again, he will be hired, and he'll do exactly what he did in Milwaukee. He is going to instantly raise the floor on whatever team he goes to. They'll win five to ten games more than they did the prior year. If they weren't in the playoffs, they'll probably threaten to be in the playoffs or be in the playoffs. Or if it's a bottom playoff team, they could be toward the middle or the top. He will do that for somebody out there, and it's it's true. There's a chance in 10 or 15 years we could look back at the whole era, at the whole Giannis era, and say, oh, we probably should have never gotten rid of Bud. But in it right now, Right now where we are, when you're in it, you just cannot risk this being a stale message and a stale scheme and a stale game plan and lose another year or two of Giannis's prime to that. You cannot risk that. It all comes back to Giannis, his age, where he's at in his contract. Now is the time to do it, and you don't want to wait until he's at the end of his deal or he's got one year left on his deal, and then you're trying to revamp everything because then because of the flux you'd be in, there maybe is a real conversation for Giannis of, well, we're turning the roster over now, and my deal is up after this year, and they're bringing in a new head coach now. Maybe I maybe I don't want to be here for the next five to six years. You don't want to be in that. That's why the timing makes sense. And, yes, we could regret it. Maybe the guy they bring in, or Becky Hammond, maybe the guy they bring in, the coach they bring in, is not going to have the success that we're hoping that that coach does, and maybe Bud goes somewhere and does have success. There is the chance that that's going to happen. I think as a Bucks fan, you have to accept that. But now feels like the time to make the move, and they make the move yesterday. And now the question becomes, what direction do they go in? The name you're going to hear more than any other name out there is Nick Nurse, former head coach of the Raptors. He was fired this year as well. It is amazing in the NBA. You had Nick Nurse, who won the title in 2019, fired. Frank Vogel won with the Lakers, if you count that one, in the bubble. I don't know if that's a half championship or a full championship. He's been fired. Bud's now been fired. The only guy in the last five years is Steve Kerr that's been able to hold his job after winning a championship. The world turns over quickly in the NBA. But Nick Nurse will be the guy that you'll hear about. According to most, he is a better in-game or in-series adjuster than Budenholzer is. I'm not sure I'm as hyped up for Nick Nurse as some people are. When you look at the five years that Nick Nurse was in Toronto, very similar to Budenholzer, he won the title that first year, and of course we all remember he went through Bud and won the title by beating the Bucks four times in a row in that Eastern Conference Final Series after the Bucks were up 2-0. I'll never forget them winning that second game handily, and I'm in my living room, in my recliner, having a beer, and they're up 2-0, and I'm thinking, this team is going to the NBA Finals. They just won the first two games at home. They're two games away, just win one in Toronto, basically, and you're there. And it didn't happen. They blew that game three in double overtime. God, you think about that. If they make just one more shot, they're up 3-0, and that never is a thing. How different history could be. But the Raptors get it done. They make the adjustments, and they go on to win the title. 
The next year, they're a 50-win team, and they're out in the second round. And then after that, not a whole lot for Nick Nurse. You could very easily look back and say, well, maybe Nick Nurse is an okay head coach, but his championship came with prime, healthy Kawhi Leonard, which is not something we see a lot of anymore. Not only was Kawhi in his prime, but he was healthy for that whole playoff run and playing like prime Michael Jordan in that playoff run. And once they got past the Bucks, don't forget, they took on the Warriors, but that Warriors team was banged up. Klay Thompson was out for the year. Kevin Durant hurt himself in that series and did not come back. They didn't have a lot of options. That's why that season hurt so much, too, for Bucks fans, because you knew if you just got by Toronto, there was a very depleted, injury-ravaged Warriors team waiting for you in the finals, and the likelihood of the championship just felt like it was good or the odds were better. But when you look back at that Nick Nurse era run, his first year they win the title, then Kawhi leaves, and he doesn't do a whole lot after that. I don't know. But that'll be the name most people are going to throw out there. There is the lead assistant for the Bucks, Charles Lee, who sounds like he's going to have his pick, too. He could probably go a lot of different places. He's been mentioned for the Detroit Pistons job, where he would take over a very young team that's going to have another high draft pick this year. He could maybe install his own culture there. Sounds like that's on the table for him. Yeah, maybe the Bucks could promote him. Like we talked about last week, I'm sure Charles Lee has differing thoughts from Bud on some things, but I also don't think he would be an assistant coach for Bud if they didn't line up in some ways philosophically. I don't know if you need to distance yourself from Bud and the coaching tree if you really want to move on. If you hire his lead assistant, are you distancing yourself enough? His name will be one that's out there. Yes, Becky Hammond, who was an assistant, lead assistant under Popovich as well, along with Budenholzer. She's in the WNBA now with the Las Vegas Aces, has won a couple of titles there, has coached in the NBA, has been a head coach at times, filling in in the NBA. Her name was out there when Bud was hired in 2019. She could be on the table, which I would have no problem with. You've got, who's the other name I saw? There's Sam Cassell. Could you imagine big Sam coming back from the big three in 2001? He is the lead assistant in L.A. with the Clippers. We don't know what's happening there. Tyron Lue might get fired. If his name is out there, he's another one. There's going to be a lot of names. Sam Cassell would be so interesting to me uh, just to see him back. He would give you a little swagger. He would give you some energy and a little bit of swagger. I don't know if you need that necessarily with the talent that the Bucks have and with Giannis as an MVP candidate, but... That would be an intriguing prospect, no doubt, to see Sam Cassell back in Milwaukee. But the point is, the Bucs are going to have their pick. Of all of the available jobs, they have a prime MVP, perennial MVP candidate on their roster. That's why they'll be the destination. They've got the relatively new arena, and they've got the fan enthusiasm coming off the title two years ago. And that's why it'll be destination number one. They can take as much time as they want. They could probably even target a coach that's on another team. Woj was talking about that on ESPN this morning, and that led to some rumors about could they could they get Greg Popovich? Would you even want that? Could they lure him away from San Antonio? Any name and all names will be in play for the Bucks because of the arena, because of Giannis and him being 28 years old and a perennial MVP candidate. I don't know what direction they go. Most fans want to see Nick Nurse. It seems like that's the name that has the most momentum, but we will see. They don't have to make a move quickly. They did have to decide on Bud quickly. Now they can take their time they could even wait until the season's over. There's going to be no player movement until July. That's when we'll find out how serious they are about Brooke Lopez. And this may impact Brooke Lopez, too. Brooke Lopez was the perfect center for the Budenholzer drop defense. Would he be the perfect center for whatever scheme is coming in after him? I don't know. Maybe that does impact whether or not they go after Brooke. You'd still love to see them sign Brooke. Brooke would sign a three-year $54 million deal. That's about where he'd be at. So we guessed kind of correctly on that. 
but that wouldn't happen until July. Middleton can't make a decision on his option until summer. Bucks can take from now basically until mid-June or the end of June to determine who the next head coach is going to be, but it's clearly a massive decision because this is going to be the voice you would think for at least the next at least the next two or three years that will lead into the next Giannis contract. But that was still somewhat shocking yesterday that they do fire Bud. Felt like it had to happen, and you feel for Bud too going through the personal tragedies going through. We have nothing but love and appreciation for him. Time to move on though, and now we'll see what direction the franchise heads in. But obviously, big news yesterday that I didn't quite see coming, even though we felt like it was kind of coming. All right, moving over to the NFL. Let's talk about Jordan Love real quick. Jordan Love, the fifth-year option decision was on Tuesday. The fifth-year option on its own would have been worth $20 million for next season. And they end up working out a deal where he gets a little bit more money this year and he gets $13.5 guaranteed for 2024. It did take my brain a second to compute the initial story I read because the fifth-year option is the 2024 season. The headlines I read when this happened on Tuesday afternoon, the headline read, Packers extend Jordan Love through 2024, avoid fifth-year option. I thought, what? wait a minute. <laughs> His fifth-year option is for 2024. The extension goes through 2024, but they don't do the fifth-year option. They just rework the contract for this year and next year. There was a lot of chatter on Packer Twitter, on all the sports radio call-in shows about what this means. What does this mean in terms of the confidence the Packers may have with Jordan Love, whether or not Jordan Love has confidence in himself. Does he not have confidence in himself because he's taking the extra money this year and knows that he's not going to sign a big contract for next year? Do the Packers not have confidence in him because they're not willing to pay him $20 million next year and only 13.5? And back and forth it went. I My feeling was just way too much was being read into this. This looks like a win-win on both ends to me. It's worth up to $22.5 million if he hits every incentive. Some of the incentives involve Super Bowl stuff. I don't know if that's going to happen. Could you imagine if it did, though? Oh, could you imagine? We do have, in our building here at Midwest Communications, we have a lot of Bears fans. I don't know how that happened or who let them in, but they are here. And it's interesting right now because most fans of the other teams, not only in the NFL, but specifically in the NFC North, they feel this is a moment where you can kick Packers fans a bit because Aaron Rodgers is gone, their four-time MVP, the second straight Hall of Fame quarterback. The boogeyman is finally out of the building, and those teams are thinking, the fans of the Lions and the fans of the Bears and the fans of the Vikings that have been kicked around by Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, and then dorks like me have been able to talk trash because the team that they grew up with randomly had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks in a row, which somehow connects it to me for reasons that I don't want to be able to put together just yet. I don't know how to put them together. But they've suffered with that for 30 years, and this feels like a transitional period, and they're betting, the fans of those other teams are betting, and that's the likely bet, is that the Packers are not going to have a third straight Hall of Fame quarterback, are not going to have a third straight stud quarterback, and they're taking that opportunity to chirp a little bit. And one of our sales guys came into my office talking about the extension that Jordan Love signed. And he said, oh, Packers don't have confidence in him. They don't. Otherwise, why wouldn't they pay him the $20 million next year? Why do they only pay him $13 million next year? And I couldn't tell if he was being serious or just trying to poke me a little bit. And I said to him, what are you going to do <laughs> as a Bear fan? He's about 20 years older than me. What are you going to do if Jordan Love is really good? Can you imagine if Jordan Love is just really good? What if it's eminently observable in the first three or four games, early in the year, first half of the year, what if it's obvious that Jordan Love has it and that he is going to be good? 
Can you imagine how down the fan bases of those teams, they got another one? What are they going to do? How are they going to work around that entanglement if it is that Jordan Love, if it ends up being that Jordan Love is really, really good? God, I want that moment so much. I want it so bad. But you are in that situation now where you've got some fans talking trash about that and talking trash about the extension. It just made sense to me on both ends. Jordan Love gets, I think, at least two or three, if not four extra million dollars this year, gets to put that walking around money in his back pocket, and then you're on the hook, and he knows he's going to make $13.5 million next year. Here's the thing. If he's good this year, if he's the guy, and that's all that matters this year. I know Vegas has the over-under on season wins at seven wins, and they're right now the longest odds to win the NFC North and all that kind of stuff. None of that matters. Of course, you hope they win as many games as possible and maybe make a wild card run or whatever. All that matters this year, whether they win two games or win ten games, all that matters is figuring out if Jordan Love is the guy. And if Jordan Love is the guy, and we can all agree on that at the end of this year or in the middle of this year, the likelihood is he is going to get a restructure and an extension after this year. So for everybody out there saying, oh, they're only going to give him $13.5 million next year instead of $20 million. They must not have a lot of confidence in him. If he's the guy, they are not going to let him walk into his final year without a contract extension. If he's the guy... They will rework it, and he's going to get a boatload, a Brinks truck of money because he'll be the guy, and he will be in his early to mid-20s and just entering the beginning of his prime. That's how Jordan Love is probably looking at it. Hey, I get an extra 3 or $4 million this year, and after I go out and prove it this season that I am the next man in line, then they're going to have to restructure me anyway, and I'm probably going to end up making 25 or $30 million next year. And it's a hedge for the Packers. If it's still questionable at the end of this year whether or not he is the guy, you could ride one more year out of him and you'd be paying seven less million than you would had you picked up the fifth-year option. It's just a win-win and a safety valve on each side as far as I can see it. But that was the big news for the Packers on Tuesday. It does sound like, am I getting a text right now that Mason Crosby is now going to the Jets? Is that actually happening? Hold on. Mason Crosby to the Jets. This is a text I just got five minutes ago. Let me just see if I can multitask here. Can John look this up and also continue to talk without dead air on the podcast? Click on the NFL link on ESPN. I don't see anything there. I told you last week they drafted that kicker, and that just felt like it might be it for Crosby. Oh, he had a visit with the Jets. Nothing got signed, but he is visiting with the Jets. You know what's fascinating about this whole Aaron Rodgers to the Jets thing? All of Rodgers' career, really, but specifically in the last few years, all we heard from the Rodgers camp was belly aching and moaning about, oh, they never give me any weapons. They never draft any first-round wide receivers. They never sign anybody. They never make a trade for anybody. They never give me the weapons. And then he gets a chance to go to a new franchise, and he wants to take all of the weapons with him that the Packers gave him that led to a middle-of-the-pack ranked offense last year. I don't understand it. Jets fans, I get it. I get why they'd be excited. If I had suffered through what the Jets fans have suffered through and I got a four-time MVP, I don't care how old he is, if I've got a four-time future Hall of Fame quarterback, four-time MVP coming into my house, I'm excited no matter what. But he's bringing over all these guys. The Packer offense ranked 17th in the league last year. I guess you get the Rodgers chip on his shoulder. If he didn't have a chip on his shoulder last year and he does this upcoming year, you get that extra boost, and we've seen chip on his shoulder Rodgers, and he is definitely much better than Malay's Aaron Rodgers, which I believe is what we saw last year and what we saw in 2018 when he was not trying to get Mike McCarthy fired but not trying to save his job. 
you get that extra boost, but it's just amazing to me all of the bitching that happened about Rodgers never having weapons, and then he gets a chance to go somewhere else and work for a new organization that maybe will give him fresher, younger weapons or spend money, and all he wants is the guys that he had in Green Bay. On Mason Crosby, a visit to the Jets. Eh, that would be the cherry on top, I guess. But that was the big Packer news this week, the Jordan Love extension. We'll talk real quickly about the Brewer collapse in Denver. I did get a text on the B93 station line this morning that said, John, I thought the Brewers always wait until the All-Star break before their collapse. Okay, let's all just take it easy. They're not playing well right now. They'll call a spade a spade. They went 14-5 and in their first 19 games. Since then, they've lost 8 of 12. After that 7-3 and road trip, that phenomenal road trip on the West Coast against quality teams where they go 7-3 and in 10 games, after that, they lost a series to Boston, lost a series to Detroit, won the series against L.A., but then gets swept by a last-place team in Colorado. They're in the muck a little bit right now. It happens over the course of a 162-game schedule. At this very moment, at 10.35 in the morning on May 5th, that's all I believe this to be. If they win or if they lose 15 of their next 20 or 20 of their next 30 and they fall completely out of the Central Division race, then we can look back and say this was the tipping point. You can't say anything right now. They're 18 and 13. The bullpen had some difficulties, especially on Thursday in Colorado, where it looked like they were going to salvage the final game of that series. Had a 4-0 lead heading into the seventh inning. Peter Strezlecki, who has been almost untouchable, has had two bad outings back-to-back now. The man gave up one run in the month of April. One run. He gave up one run his last time out, which did cost him, and then yesterday he got charged with five earned runs. Being a relief pitcher in Major League Baseball is rough. You could be so good for so long, and then you have two bad outings. Strezlecki went from a .7 ERA last week to a 4.2 ERA in the span of 48 hours. But he was not good, and the Rockies chipped away. They got the game tied, and then eventually they win the game 9-6. Yelly had a good game yesterday. Home run, three hits, a couple of runs scored. But a mess, a mess of a series. No other way to put it in Colorado. It's one series. Let's not hit the panic button yet. I can understand, based on how last year ended and the early enthusiasm of the youth of this season seems to be wearing off a bit. That doesn't mean that things are going to go badly this year. But at some point, I get it. There were 14-5 and five to open the year. We were all talking about how fun this team is and how young they are. That wasn't going to last the entire year. At some point, a team has to settle in and you just play baseball. Losing Garrett Mitchell hurts. People are pointing to that like that's the inflection point here for the team or for the, for the season going a little bit sideways. They were 14-5 and five and uh, had a much better offense with Garrett Mitchell. Then Garrett Mitchell gets hurt, and it just seems like the clubhouse vibes aren't there and they're losing games. I don't know if Garrett Mitchell was that important. Was Garrett Mitchell that important to this team? I guess we'll find out if this continues. It's hard to say. My guess would be that's more coincidence than anything. They certainly miss him, but to say that Garrett Mitchell, a Garrett Mitchell injury is the reason the season could turn south, I don't know. That feels a little dramatic to me. But at some point, the enthusiasm of the early part of the year was going to wear off, whether it was just on its own or whether it's because of a bad stretch of losses, which they're in right now. The good news is the Central Division has been such a dumpster fire this week nobody's winning. They're still a game and a half back of Pittsburgh for first place and one back in the loss column. The Central Division, as a division, since Sunday, it's Friday right now, since Sunday, the whole division has won two games. That's it. If you're going to have a bad stretch of games, you want to have a bad stretch of games when everybody else in your division is having a bad stretch of games. By the way, how about the Cardinals sitting at 10-22, and which I'm not going to chirp about. I'm just mentioning it. You can tell, or at least I feel like I can tell, 
the portion of Brewers Twitter that is talking trash about that, talking trash about the Cardinals starts, they've got to be a young part of the fan base, right? They haven't seen enough of the wars. <laughs> they haven't been through enough. Because I see the Cardinals at 10-22 and 22 in last place, and I want to laugh, but I know what's coming. Most longtime Brewers fans in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, they've seen this narrative all too often where the Cardinals are left for dead. They have a terrible first two months of the year. They're sitting under 500 after the trade deadline, and then all of a sudden they win 90 games and they're in the World Series. The portion of the fan base that is talking trash about the Cardinals' start has to be under the age of 18 years old. Just has to be. They haven't seen enough of the Cardinals' dark magic. You never, ever, ever talk trash about the Cardinals until the season is over. Until the end of the season, if they only win 70 games or 75 games, not a minute sooner. You don't talk trash a minute sooner than at the end of the year for the Cardinals. But they are off to a really rough start at 10-22. and 22, And they are a team that has a ton of talent. But that's the good news. The Brewers have been down, yes, but everybody in the division has been, and you haven't lost any ground. You could say, counterpoint, John, they haven't made up any ground, or this could have been a chance for them to get back in first and build up some space. Sure. If you want to be glass half empty, that's fine. I'll be glass half full and say this was the time to have the bad streak because everybody else is too. Hopefully they get back on track tonight. First of three in San Francisco. Giants haven't been great this year. Corbin Burns on the hill tonight. Coming back on Monday, we'll give you any updates on whether or not the Bucks have had any progress as to a new head coach or if anybody's been in for an interview. I don't expect this is going to be a short process. I suppose if Nick Nurse is the guy and they already know that, then maybe they do hire him quickly. He is going to be the most sought-after candidate, but like I said, my feeling is the Bucks are the number one destination. I don't know that Nick Nurse would make a move if the Bucks were still in the middle of making a decision, given that he could coach a team with Giannis. But if there's any movement on that, we'll talk about that. I don't expect a whole lot of Packer news. Oh, it's Derby weekend, too. I don't know who I'm going to put money on. A lot like the major championships in golf, I put money on the Derby every year. I have never won. The names are not all that inspiring. <laughs> there's just not a lot of fun names. Traditionally, I pick, I make my pick based on who has the best name. There aren't a lot of good names. Hit Show is 30 to 1, Verifying, Two Fills, P H I L S, Confidence Game, Kings Barnes, Tap It Trice in this economy, Reincarnate Mage. Who is the Disarmed, Jace's Road, Angel of Empire? Forte is the, is the favorite. He is 3 to 1. Forte, like Matt Forte. He's the favorite, F-O-R-T-E. And if it's in the mud, then Forte, like Matt Forte, will be pretty good. I love the name Sun Thunder. I kind of like that. Sounds like a bad 80s action movie. He is the most distant favorite, so he would pay a lot at 50 to 1. Continue ours. Cyclone Mischief? I don't mind that one so much. Mandarin Hero, King Russell, Lord Miles. I don't know. Who are we going to go with here? Let's just pick one just to pick one. I am going to go with... Who am I going to go with? Am I going Sun Thunder? <laughs> Seems like a waste of money to go with the 50 to 1 odds. I will go with Cyclone Mischief at 25 to 1. Cyclone Mischief is the pick. Derby weekend. That's a bucket list event for me. At some point, I want to get there. Churchill Downs. I want to wear a fancy hat. I know that's more for the ladies, but whatever. Let me wear my fancy hat. I want to drink my mint julep. I want to lose a lot of money. I want to do it all in person. Bucket list sporting event. But our pick is Cyclone Mischief. I'm just doing it right now. I've actually laid the bet as we've been talking about it. Cyclone Mischief is the pick. We'll chat with you on Monday. We'll recap that. Any Bucks news, any Packer news, don't expect a lot there. Hopefully recapping a series win in San Francisco for the Brewers. Have a good weekend. We'll chat with you then.